What's up, everybody? I'm... Hey. I'm Jason, uh, and I'm grateful to be here with all of you. Uh, First off, just a little note. So this little packet down there, it's my baby. I've been working on it for a while, and I'm really excited about it. And so I just want to give a little note about that on the beginning, and you guys can come grab it uh, afterwards or anything like that. But it's... So we're... Thomas and I, we were thinking, we were looking ahead, and we're like, oh man, Christmas break is normally like three weeks, and it's like two months now, which is nuts. And so we want to, uh, yeah, keep each other connected, both to each other as we kind of go through this together, and also to the Lord uh, over Christmas break. I know in my own experience, uh, so I came to, came to faith at the end of my senior year of high school, and so... Uh, when I came here to college, that was where so much of my experience with Jesus was. And so much of my kind of old habits came back when I moved back, uh, back home with my parents back in Hudson. And so breaks were often a time where I felt really disconnected from the Lord, uh, from my faith in general. And so uh, we just don't want that to happen uh, for any of you. And so we want to provide this. We're also going to provide over the course of winter break a time where we're, Thomas and I are going to gather here in person like once a week to just do this. And so if you want to come and do that with us, we'd be happy to have you. We're also going to do it on Zoom for those of you who aren't in Lincoln and can't come in person to do that so that we can kind of do this together as a group to continue to develop kind of connections and fellowship with each other as well as fellowship with the Lord. And it's over the course of Advent and Christmas tide, And so I didn't know what those words meant a couple of years ago. But they're a part of the church calendar, and Advent is the, are the weeks leading up to Christmas. And Advent just means coming, and so, or arrival. So it, it kind of, we prepare our hearts for the coming of Christ that we celebrate on Christmas and his birth. And then Christmastide is where the 12 days of Christmas song came from. It's Christmas, and then the, the 11 days after that where we celebrate Christ's birth, and we reflect on kind of the incarnation that God would come and dwell here on earth uh, in human body and kind of what that means for us. So that's a bit of what that kind of packet, the pamphlet, the Advent reading and prayer guide. uh, And I'm excited to do it. I'd love for any of you to do that alongside me uh, and Thomas as we do that together this winter break. But just wanted to give you a heads up on that. Wanted to kind of get that on your radar before a couple of weeks from now when we're all gone for two months and longing to be together and to be with Christ. And so it's a little bit about that. Uh, I'll, I'll get off kind of my big joy about that because I'm, I'm pretty pumped about it. But we're here at RUF and it's the last large group of the semester. And it's, it's been a semester, let me tell you. Uh, I was... I was like trying to, I'm like, I'm going to summon up a bunch of energy, just be real excited. And like, this is kind of my baseline, which is higher than most, but it's not like peak energy for Jason. And so I was like, oh man, why can't I, why can't I like muster that up? And I think it's just been, it's been a, it's been a doozy and it's kind of, it's sapped a lot of my energy having no breaks, um, gearing up. So doing RUF, I'm also a student, I'm in seminary, so my finals week is right around Thanksgiving too, so I can kind of empathize with what you're going through. And it's just, man, there's not a lot left, it feels like, in the tank for me. 
Maybe that's the case for you. And, you know, that's okay. The Lord doesn't require us to be on fire for him all the time. He, uh, yeah, he meets us where we are, whether that's in great joy or deep sorrow, uh, whether that's when we think we're yeah, doing awesome or when we're not. Kind of any, any way we can define ourselves, he looks at you uh, in Christ and he sees him and he, he rejoices over you. So we can define ourselves in any number of different ways, especially at the end of the semester. You either define yourself back, oh man, I'm killing it. I can get a 20% on this final and pass with an A. I don't even need to do anything. I'm awesome. That's very rare, I think. Uh, so you also could be like, oh man, I have 19 extra Zoom lectures that I need to watch by Sunday night and it's not going to get done and I'm going to fail. And you can def- try to define yourself by that. But that's not how God defines you. He defines you by his grace. And we say this every week here at RUF and right around now. I wish I could say it to you all every single day. But we say this every week. You're never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. And you're never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace. That's true. And it's significant. And God's grace is limitless. And so I just want to rest in that. Uh, as I pray and kind of move into the passage for tonight. So would you all pray with me? Oh, Lord Jesus, it feels like we're at the end of our rope and uh, we're just kind of hanging on by our fingertips trying to get through the end of this semester. Uh, Lord, we, we, we just don't have that much strength to muster up. And so on the days where we're just down in the dumps, thinking about, man, how we can do all the things we feel like we need to do. Would you give us rest? Would you remind us that we're not defined by our GPA or our grades? Uh, We're not defined by all the things that we don't get done uh, or all the things that we feel proud of, uh, but we're defined by you. And Lord, uh, we come to you asking that you would speak to us in your word, uh, this last large group of the semester, you would meet with us, that you would speak to our souls, that we would be comforted uh, by your grace and by how great your forgiveness is. Uh, would you do that for us tonight? Pray this in your strong and powerful name, Lord Jesus. Amen. So this semester we've been going through a series called The Storyteller, where we've been looking at Jesus as he tells the parables found throughout the Gospels. And we've, we've learned a lot. We've learned that uh, in the kingdom, God pursues the lost, that he reveals our hearts. He gives us security, listens to our prayers. He gives power to the small things. And we've learned that uh, and much more. We've also learned that context is really, really important. So whether you're, you're reading the Bible uh, anywhere, but especially the parables, Uh, knowing the kind of surrounding context is important because Jesus would often speak a parable when somebody asked him a straightforward question. He would dodge the question and he would talk about a sheep and a coin or uh, something would happen that he would witness and he would then tell a parable to kind of subvert the expectations and to comment on what just happened. And that's the same thing for us tonight. The passage right before this, Jesus kind of outlines 
what engaging with kind of a Christian who sins against you, what that looks like. And then Peter asks a question. He asks, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus responds by saying, not seven, but 77. And then he jumps into this story, into this parable uh, about this, this king whose forgiveness is great. And as we think about this, uh, I often think that our, our hearts as, as human beings kind of in our broken, in our exhaustion, when somebody does wrong to us, we're quick to hold grudges. We don't really want to forgive. We want to make them kind of pay to make up for how they've hurt us or the wrongs that they've done. But that's not, that's not who God is. It's not who this king is. Instead, as we, as we look through this passage, we're going to see uh, that God forgives us and he empowers us to forgive as well. We're just going to move through kind of the three main points and we're going to look at our debt to God. We're going to look at the debts between people. We're going to look at our call to forgive. So we're going to jump in looking at the first bit, our debt to God. And so Peter asks this question, uh, how many times do I have to forgive my brother who sins against me? Seven? As many as seven times, Jesus? Jesus says, not seven, but 77. And then to, to kind of show a little bit more of what he means by that, he talks about this king. This king who has many servants, and he, he begins by uh, kind of calling them in to settle accounts. So to kind of look at how much left is owed and to, to either kind of release this servant into the freedom when the debt is paid, because that's kind of what the, uh, yeah, in this time period, slavery and being servants, a lot of it was to pay off debts. You kind of sold yourself into slavery to have this king pay off a debt that maybe you had, and you would work it off. And then the king would kind of uh, release you once the debt's paid. And the first servant that comes in to have his, kind of have his account settled uh, he comes in and he owes, him, he owes the king 10,000 talents. And that doesn't make sense to us because a talent for us now is like something you're good at, a skill you have. Like how do you owe somebody 10,000 things you're good at? That's weird. Uh, but back then a talent was a unit of money. And so biblical scholars, there's some different views on how much this would correlate to like modern day money. But they would say it's in the millions or the billions. That's how much this debt is. And that's a lot if you were to just translate it into kind of financial terms right now. Uh, but the, 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 in the Greek, which is the language the New Testament was written in, these, the two words that translate as 10,000 talents, it's myrion talenton, which is just fun. Uh, and really what it's doing is those are the, that's the biggest sum of money that you could say using two words. So you'd have to use more words to say more than 10,000 talents. And so my modern day translation of that is a gazillion dollars. That's how much money this, this, this servant owes this king a gazillion dollars. He's racked up that much money in credit card debt. And he comes and the king's like a gazillion dollars. That's how much you owe me. And this, this servant, he's like, oh man, I, I, no, hey, have patience. I'll pay it back. He says, have patience with me. I will pay you everything. And that's just the posture that this servant takes. And kind of this, to step out of the parable for a minute, this debt between the king and the servant, it symbolizes our sin against God. The kind of sin debt that we have 
Um, because of the ways that we have not done what we were supposed to, the ways that we've left things that we were supposed to do undone, the things where we've just blatantly gone against God's command for our life. That's kind of our, our sin debt. But now back into the story. This servant thinks he can pay it back. And it would have, like, the, the king says, before that, before he says he can pay it back, the king says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sell you and your wife and your children to just get a little bit of this gazillion dollars paid down. And that would have been fair. It would have been fair for the king to do that. Um, but instead, the king knows it's going to be impossible. It's, it's impossible for you to pay back this debt. And so he, he forgives him the debt, it says in verse 27. Out of, out of pity for them, he forgave the debt. Um, but that debt doesn't just, like, a gazillion dollars doesn't just, like, magically appear in the king's kind of storage in his bank vault. That just doesn't happen. And so when the king forgives the debt, what he's really doing is taking it upon himself. He's just, he's just out that much. And it's to, to release this servant from kind of bondage to that debt that he has to pay. And the king forgives him out of this abundant mercy that he has for the servant. Now, I've got a small picture a very small picture in comparison. It's nowhere close to a gazillion dollars. Uh, but my summer after I graduated high school, uh, I was working for Hudson Hardware Plumbing and Heating, which is a, it's a weird, it's weird to say that out loud now. Uh, but the, yeah, the boss's name was Tom and they kind of did everything, but I would mostly like kind of clean up the shop and I would run parts places. And on one of, my, one of my first days that summer, uh, he sent me out. He's like, hey, take this part, cross town, and then come back. And so I, gra- I had one of the trucks, and I, I drove, and I came back, and I realized, like, oh, man, all of the trucks are backed in. I, I am not good at that. But I feel like I need to because that's how, I, how it was when I found it. And so I just tried. I picked the, the, parking, the parking spot on the very edge. I went to back it in. And I was like, okay, it's going. Ka-dunk. I was like, oh my goodness. I, I, I got out and I had, I had slow, it was going slow, but I had, I had run into this pole on the edge of this parking lot. And I tell you this now, cause I can, I can back up now. I have learned that skill, uh, mostly because you'll find out at the end of the story. But I was like, oh man. So I I had scraped it up pretty bad. There was no dent, but there was a real bad scrape. And I was like, okay, it's like, nobody's going to notice. I'm just not going to say anything. And so I just like went about my day, left work, went home. And about 8 p.m. that night, I got a call from Tom. And was like, and Tom was kind of a harsh boss. Like he was pretty like straightforward down to business. I was like, I'm going to get chewed out so hard. So I like answered. He's like, hey, Jason, anything happened today at work? (laughs) What do you mean, Tom? (laughs) I tried to hide it. And then I like broke down. It was like, oh, I'm so sorry, uh, like fighting back the tears, but he definitely heard it over the phone. And he's like, hey, I, I forgive you. I didn't even ask for, I, haven't, I didn't even apologize really. But he's like, I forgive you. Um, I was like, I'll pay it, I'll pay it off. Like I'll, I'll work for however long you don't need to pay me. He's like, dude, like, no, I'm going to pay for it. And I come in tomorrow morning. I've cleared out my morning. I'm going to teach you how to back up. I'm going to teach you how to back up with a truck, how to back up with a trailer. And that was like, it was probably a few hundred dollars to fix this, this truck 
And that's nowhere near a gazillion, but for an, for an 18 year old who had just started work, like it's a fair amount. Uh, and it's just a small picture of the mercy that Tom showed me as a small reflection of the forgiveness that God shows us when he cancels out our debt. And so when we, when we think about this section of the passage, I think we need to, first off, we need to recognize that we have an unpayable debt to God. That because of our sin, because of the ways that we rebel against him, because of the ways we don't do what he calls us to, we either rebel or we neglect. Uh, man, we just, we can't pay that back. It's too, it's too big of a sum to try to live well enough to try to give enough to God that we could even make a chip, even make a dent in that. So if you're here tonight and you're just recognizing for the first time, like, oh man, I look at my life and there's so much I've done wrong. Like I, I deserve to be sold into, into judgment to, to, as a response to that. Maybe it's your first time recognizing that. Uh, I want to direct, direct your attention to the king's mercy. This is a picture of God. He desires to give you mercy in Christ. To pay for your sin. When Christ died on the cross, he said it was finished. He said all of the, all of the sin that he had taken on, on your behalf, he had made that payment and it was made in full. There's no, nothing left on that check to cash. For you, And all it takes is to receive him into your heart and to recognize, man, I've got so much sin that I can't pay for. But Jesus stood in my place, in my behalf. And he took that for me. Maybe you, you heard me share all of that. And you're like, yep, check, done. I've done that. Uh, I want to ask you do, you, do you feel like you have to pay that back to God? Do you live as if you're trying to pay down the debt? That, yeah, like, okay, yeah, Jesus, you saved me, but I'm going to do a bunch of good stuff so that you love me more. I'm going to do a bunch of stuff so that the king says, like, oh, wow, he made up a little bit of that debt that I had already paid off. It's not what God expects us to do at all. He delights in us as his children. He rejoices in us, uh, whether we've run off and have returned or whether we've stayed in the same place. And he invites us kind of into his party. He longs for us to, to do well and to, to live according to his commands because it's for our good and for his glory. But he doesn't require us to pay back what he has already paid in full. So I want us to recognize that. So if we're in that posture where we've been, uh, we've been forgiven completely a great unpayable debt, like the servant has, what do we expect the servant to do? So he gets sent out, and in verse 28, he says, But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And what do we expect him to do? What do, we want, what do we want the servant to do? To go and to say, hey man, I was just forgiven a gazillion dollars. Like, we're good. You don't need to worry about paying me back. And this, uh, this sum, it would have been a, a few hundred denarii. It's like a few hundred days wages. And so it's a few thousand dollars. So it's not insignificant to us at all nowadays. Like, man, you, you'd know if you had lent a few thousand dollars to a friend. Every time you go and you like, get that $8 coffee, 
you're like, oh man, I wouldn't have to worry about this if that guy paid me my few, few thousand dollars back. Be like, okay, but it's like, it's in the back of your mind. And you're like, I want him to pay. So it's not a small thing. It's what I want us to recognize first. Um, but instead, the servant with that, instead of saying, hey, we're good. My gazillion dollars got paid for, count, count us even. Instead, he goes out and he chokes out this fellow servant. He like choke slams him, grabs him, chokes, pay what you owe. And we see he respond, the, the, the fellow servant responds. He falls down, pleads, and he says, have patience with, patience with me and I will pay you. And this echoes so much what the first servant did to the king. The first servant came and he, he fell on his knees imploring, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And then he goes out and this, another servant says, have patience with me and I will pay you. And instead, instead of being merciful, this servant throws him into jail until he can pay what he owes. Man, that's not what we want. It's not what we kind of expect reading this, this passage. Um, but when we, when we think about this, I think Jesus, he doesn't downplay anything. He doesn't downplay the, the sin and like the debts between people. So when others harm us, when we harm others, Jesus doesn't downplay that. Uh, it's not a few cents or a couple of bucks that can easily be forgotten about. It's a significant sum. And while Jesus doesn't downplay the significance of our sin between each other, uh, he does put it in perspective. Because he frames this and he puts these two moments very close to each other. And he frames it as this is a few, it's a significant sum between people. But it's point like zero 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 one percent between what, we, what our debt is to God and what our debt is between other people when we sin against each other and we harm each other. And so we, uh, man, we, we want this servant to be merciful, to be gracious to his fellow servant. Uh, but it's harder when we put ourselves in that position. When we and I've put ourselves in this story and we think about the ways in which people have hurt us. We think about the ways where, where it's been so hard to forgive someone. And think about, think about someone who has hurt you. Sometimes it's the, it's the closest people uh, that hurt us the most. Maybe it was a best friend who's no longer a best friend because of something. Whoever it is, just think about the hurt that they've caused. And I want you to know that Jesus cares deeply about that pain. He doesn't think it's a small thing. He recognizes the significance of that hurt in your life. And Jesus is with you in that. In the same breath, he, he calls us to recognize how much we have been forgiven. So on one hand, hold that pain. And on one hand, just imagine to try to hold all of the pain that we have put God through. Since children who've rebelled against him time and time again. And if we see that this, the weight of our sin against God has been forgiven... And how much abundance of forgiveness he has offered us. Out of that we can forgive those who have hurt us. 
And it's hard. It takes time. Wounds take a while to heal. Um, but they, they heal more beautifully when there's not festering there. So when we forgive, we can, we can kind of cast that burden on the Lord and he'll take it. We're only able to truly forgive each other when we forgive out of the abundance of forgiveness that God has given to us. I think that's the thing the first servant didn't recognize. He didn't recognize how much God had forgiven him, how much the king had forgiven him. He thought he could pay him back. And it's laughable <laughs> when, when we think about it. It's laughable uh, that he thinks he can pay him back. But as we continue on in this passage, we see um, that the fellow servants saw what happened, saw the one servant choke, slam the other, throw him into jail. And they don't just stand idly by, but they go to the king because they were very distressed. They reported to the master all that had taken place. The master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? This king is pissed. But what is he furious about? I think that's a key for us here in this passage. The king's not mad about the servant for mishandling his money, for racking up a gazillion dollars of debt. The king isn't mad about that. But we look and we see, he says, and should, you, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? The king, he's not mad about the mishandling of money. He's mad about the mishandling of mercy. That's what gets this king fired up. That's what makes this king so angry. It's the mercy that he extended wasn't offered to others. Then Jesus closes uh, this, this parable out by saying, uh, he says something that's really scary on the front end. He says, and in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. And he goes on and ratchets it up to be more, even more clear. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Man, that's, whew, that's big. Uh, I know for one that I am certain that there are people that I have not yet forgiven from my heart. More often than not, I'm slow to forgive. And I reckon with so much of the rest of the things in, in Scripture, the, the call to worship that we had at the beginning of the of large group tonight that said God removes the, our sins as far as the east is from the west. And so how can we recognize that and then have the king throw us into jail to pay for that debt that had, the sin had been removed from us as far as the east is from the west? And I think, I think the key is to ask, what does it mean to forgive from the heart? So another one of God's promises uh, in the Old Testament, in the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 6, God promises to give his people a new heart, to put his spirit within them so that they're able to do what he calls them to do. That's what happens when you receive Christ, when you recognize you've got this unpayable debt, 
You receive Christ and God gives you a new heart in order to do that. He sets his spirit within you to enable you to trust Christ and to live your life on the, in the rest of your days. But on this side of glory, this side before Christ comes back and we're made perfect, and we've got, we've got our flesh that's fighting with that heart. Our flesh wants to keep the grudges. Flesh wants to keep score, wants other people to pay. Flesh doesn't want to forgive. But the heart that, that God has given us, those who believe in Christ, and the spirit that works in us, it leads us in the way of forgiveness. Oftentimes it's a slow process, but he works in that direction. And we're able to forgive from the new heart rather than the old. And that's how we can forgive those who harm us and those who sin against us. We're able to do that. And so again, this, this echoes the, the aspects that the only way that we can forgive others is out of the abundance of forgiveness that we've been given. The grace, the mercy that we've been given, the new heart, the spirit that lives within believers. That's the way that we can forgive others from our heart. And let's, let's jump back to the beginning and look at Peter and his question. He asks, how many times do I have to forgive my brother if he sins against me? As many as seven times. And just as a, a point of reference, the, the religious teachers of the day, they, they said three. That's what their answer to that question was. How many times will my brother sin against me and I, and I forgive him? Their answer was three. So Peter's going above and beyond. He's like, I'm going to double that and add one. That's pretty holy, right? Seven, Jesus, you know, my good, seven. And Jesus says, I, I don't say seven, but 77. If we, if we think about the next time, you know, 78, oh man. Jesus isn't giving Peter license to just like, okay, unleash your wrath, Peter. If your bro- brother sins 70, 78 times, go get him. It's not what Jesus is saying at all. Uh, Instead, he's subverting our expectations. What used to be three and then bumped up to seven, Jesus blows out of the water. Saying like, there's not a limit to the forgiveness that we can offer once we've been forgiven in him. When you think about forgiving someone over and over and over again, we get a practical understanding of what it's like for God to forgive us. I mean, as we do that, we recognize more and more uh, of, of what Jesus has done for us. What he took on the cross, what he knew we would do time and time again. Because I don't know about you guys, but I received Christ a while back and I've continued to sin since then. And so even when, when he's in my heart, I continue to rebel and he pays for that. He doesn't make me. And so when other people sin against us and we forgive them, it's an experience of what Jesus has done for us. And he becomes more beautiful to us. And so think about that. The next time you need to forgive someone. When your roommate comes home super late, real loud, and you're trying to study because you got a test tomorrow, or you're trying to sleep because there, there are a few hours left of the semester that you'll get of that. Think about Jesus. Maybe you're living in the dorms. And you, uh, you wake up in the morning and you go to brush your teeth and the partier across the hall just spewed everywhere and you're so frustrated, you know who it is. But you forgive them because you remember Jesus. 
Or worse, if it, they didn't make it to the bathroom and it's right outside your door. Oh man, that's harder. It's harder to do. Uh, but you remember Jesus and what he's done for you. And as you forgive these people, Jesus becomes more beautiful to you, more astounding to you. And he also becomes more astounding to them because it doesn't make sense that you would forgive them for those things. Now, some of you have heard this story of mine that I'm about to tell. Uh, If you haven't, you're going to hear it again because there are seldom stories where I forgive well. This is pretty much the only one. Uh, But back my freshman year of college, I lived in my fraternity house. I lived in a room with three other guys. I had the bottom bunk of one of our bunks. And I came back. I had been hanging out with some friends at the dorms till late. It's like probably two in the morning. Uh, go to sleep earlier, friends. Uh, but as I get back, like two, and I, like, I'm, I'm exhausted. I'm ready to jump into bed. And I, that's not right. So I flip on my flashlight. And uh, my buddy Kyle up above, had, he had gone out that night, puked down the ladder into my laundry hamper and onto my bed and pillow. Oh, bad news. Um, And I'm like, oh, man. And by the grace of God, I didn't just scream right then because I wanted to. Uh, But Jesus was like, no, Jason, check on him. So I woke him up, made made sure he was okay, uh, cleaned up, did some some 3 a.m. laundry. Uh, And as I was doing that, I was reminded of what Jesus had done for me. What I had done to, to sin against him was way worse than puke in his bed. And he forgave me, cleaned me up. And so I slept on the couch that night. I got to have two really cool conversations the next day. Uh, so Jesus became much more beautiful and astounding to me that night. But the next day, uh, Kyle slept in, which he needed. Uh, and the other two roommates, Nick and Steven, they came out and they were like, dude, how did you not scream? Nick's like, oh, I would have woken him up with a punch to the face. And he had the other bottom bunk. And so it's by God's providence that I had the one I was in at the beginning of the year because that would not have been good. Uh, but they, they asked, they're like, dude, how could you, how, like, how are you okay with that? And I said the same thing I just said to you. Man, with everything I've done against God, it's been way worse than puking his bed and he's forgiven me. And then Kyle woke up later uh, and just apologized profusely. And I was like, dude, I forgive you. We had another conversation. And they were like, man, this Jesus guy, he's something. None of them are Christians. Uh, But they were interested because of the forgiveness that they had either witnessed or received. I read the Bible with some of them. Some of them came to church. Uh, Some of them are still searching looking for God and not yet received him, but it's my prayer that they will. Uh, But Jesus became more astounding to to me that night, more astounding to them. And I look back and I recognize that the only way that I forgave Kyle that night was out of the abundance of forgiveness that I've received from God. So it's when we recognize how much we have been forgiven that we are empowered to forgive. When we do that, Jesus becomes more astounding and more beautiful to us. He becomes more beautiful and more astounding to those that we forgive. I just want to think on that as I I close in prayer.
Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, you are beautiful and you're astounding and it doesn't make sense to us that you would pay for our yeah, gazillion dollar sin debt, Lord. Uh, but if you didn't, we would have no hope. And so in, in your mercy, you forgave us. Lord, I pray that we would, we would sit in that, that we would meditate on your mercy and your forgiveness. And as we do that, that you would make us more merciful and more forgiving people, that we would be quick to let go of grudges, that we would be quick to offer forgiveness um, so that you would become more beautiful to us and to those we forgive. Lord, we, we long for the day uh, yeah, where we get to rejoice with you. Uh, yeah, we, we long for the day uh, where there is no more sin to be done against one another. Where we, we live as perfectly glorified people worshiping you, living well, uh, flourishing. But Lord, until then, uh, yeah, would you work in us a, a quick forgiveness to others and to ourselves. Lord, we're grateful for you. Pray all of this in your strong and powerful name. Amen.